Ace Podcast. Rum Podcast presents Death Wish 2. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I am one of the hosts, Martin, and with me today is now co-host, Ryan, from the moonsdeadworld.net. That's right. And today we're continuing our ongoing saga of doing a Death Wish series. And today we're going to be covering the classic... Charles Bronson film, Death Wish Two. That's right. Yeah, it's right. fun. Are you excited? I'm. I'm very excited. We're second film into the five film franchise. And How did it ever get there? We don't know. But. It's, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, number one really seemed like it left off in like a point where you couldn't really do a whole lot more with it. Mm. I'll say it did. Not a whole lot more, but it did leave room for a sequel. Well, I mean, he was in Chicago at that time. And he literally runs into thugs who accost some poor woman. And then he, like, bends down and grabs, like, her shit and then, like, points, like, a finger gun at him, like, winks at him, like, I'm gonna fucking kill you scumbags. Yeah, I mean, you could... So, yeah, you could do a sequel, but is it necessary? No, I mean, I don't think it's... Well, like I said, when I what I mean when I say, like, um... I don't know how much more you could do with it, is that I I would expect that it would go a different... You know, if we were going to work on a sequel, it would be something somewhat different and not the exact same thing as the first Death Wish. Which, Death Wish 2? It's pretty much the exact same thing. Same thing, except... Same, same formula and everything. Except cheaper, more of a knockoff. Uh, shorter. Shorter and worse for wear. Yeah. Um... I mean, I, like I said in the in the original film when we did the podcast last week, um, there's diminishing returns with Death Wish, but at the same time, you can see how people could make it into many many sequels because you could potentially do the same thing over and over and over again. It starts to make way less sense as we'll see in Death Wish too, but you could do the same thing over and you could just have. Paul Kersey becoming more and more of a vigilante where he just kills anybody that is a thug in the streets. Um, and I think with Death Wish, there's, there is some semblance of, of plot there, although I said that I didn't think it was a very strong plot. I don't think that there's very much there in Death Wish to begin with. It's not even really a revenge story in Death Wish. It's more of a you know, this happened to me, so I'm now going to take the law into my own hands type of story. Yeah, it's a vigilante story. That's right. In Death Wish 2, now it's more of a revenge story. It's not a, which, vigil- it's not a vigilante no. story. It's a revenge story. Which I actually would have expected from the first one, that it would be more of a revenge story in the first one. And, and then, then was- subsequently, then it would probably just be him being pissed off at, vig- at, at criminals and going all vigilante. But that's not the case. 
And it's it's kind of a strange way to do the series, I think. But I mean, at the same time, I don't I don't know how much, you know, I don't know how far in advance Michael Winner, the director, <clears throat> was looking when he did Death Wish, the the original one. You know, I don't think a sequel was on the forecast for that. I don't think um, any of them had the idea that a sequel was on the forecast. No, I don't think so. Because... It took him eight years to do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we're talking eight years that from the first Death Wish to the second Death Wish. And in for Death Wish 2, it is very near a reboot. You could... If they did not reference the original Death Wish, you could almost assume that this was a reboot and that this Paul Kersey was like an alternate universe Paul Kersey where the same fucking bad thing happens to him. (laughs) Because there's almost... There's nothing that's different about Death Wish 2 besides the fact that instead of going just vigilante, he he takes his revenge. I, I don't know. I mean, I could see that them... I think it would honestly... We'll get into this later but i think death wish 2 would be better if it just fuck it if it just rebooted it if it didn't even bother with the previous film because we get into all sorts of problems with death wish 2 logistically like logically this doesn't make much sense which i think we'll talk about later in the episode but i'm just gonna say right now it doesn't really logically make sense for paul to have done this once before have the exact same thing happen to him in a different location and then do it again so that's my biggest issue with Death Wish 2 by far without even getting into like the meat of what's happening in this this film. Yeah. I right? I mean it's hard to I'm just, excuse I'm just, I'm just some, enjoying your rant right now. Yeah, it's it's hard to excuse some of the things that happened in this film and write it off as like, well, you know, they would be overlooked, or <laughs> I don't know. Well no, again, but I, again, like I agree with the whole sentiment that this you, the franchise would have been better off if they just didn't even bother. Or, yeah, well... Just, there's yeah. No, again, there's no need. If you didn't I, bother they, with it, yeah, they sure. Co- they yeah. covered enough ground in the first film to... Yeah. You know, I mean... <clears throat> and cause I, Again, like I said in the uh, first podcast on Death Wish that we did last week, I love Death Wish. I think it's a great film. Mm-hmm. I can understand where you're coming from and say where it's like the plot's loose. It is very, It is a loose story. It's just, it's very simple, very basic. It's over the top. But at the time, especially with these kinds of films, what 70s film isn't. Right. But I can enjoy it and and think it's a great film for all the things that I think it does do right. The fact that it, it is like, so, like, it is a very common thing that people would want to... Can, it's a thing people can relate to. Absolutely. Within the and, time period, it was. And, yeah, not, and not, again, not only that, but as we said last podcast, it relates even to today. To even to today. With how people... Those just like the how people talk about today when like anytime there's like a shooting or some kind of crime, they're like, well, if this guy had a gun, he could have stopped it. Well, I mean, I think it has a backwards political stance. And that's, that comes from hindsight, obviously. This was, like we talked about in that original podcast, um, not so much Death Wish 2, but Death Wish 1 was post-Nixon era, where there's not very much policing in the way of, like, we're going to take care of crime, especially in New York City. It was more like, well, you know, I, well, that's it's an ugly the, thing that we don't really want to deal with. Well, no, the, well, at the same time, there was, that was the whole... 
part of Nick's why Nixon won as and became president was the whole the silent majority. This mm-hmm. idea that is same th- way Trump got elected that the middle America is being ignored and all these things are happening and we need you know we need a crackdown and that's what Nixon brought when he came you know became president he brought a crackdown and so not only that he you know brought the war on drugs too but at the same time you if you have like you know these big inner cities. They ended up getting in the shape they're in for, you know, several different reasons. But, I mean, the whole it's, – it's it's the great juxtaposition of you have this idea of people wanting this crackdown on crime and possibly needing to take it into their own hands because if it's not getting taken care of in where they live, but these same places, you know, are overrun with it. So it's, you know, like – and how we react and react to it. Yeah. I mean – well, I mean, what is history except, like, certain things go a certain way for a while, gets to an extreme, then you have, you know, it's, it's all cyclical. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame, like I said, I don't blame Death Wish, the the original, for its stances on certain things. Which I find funny, too, because I was reading, too, because it's based off a book. Right. Didn't know that. And the writer was appalled with the movie because his book's very anti-vigilantism. And I just find it great that it's... uh. Well, and we didn't mention in that first film because we didn't, or uh, first episode because we didn't really notice it at the time. But on the back cover of Martin's uh, edition of Death Wish, it does label Paul as a bleeding, a, lib- a bleeding, bleeding heart liberal. And uh, I would not really, really describe his character in the film before you know post murder rape as a bleeding heart liberal. More so, like you said, as a I don't really apathetic. Yeah, I don't really have an, much. Ap- an apathetic, just moderate, a middle class yeah. man who, like a lot of people today, you know, who are kind of apathetic to politics. They're you know, just they're fine with where they are. They th- see things that are wrong, but you know, hey, it's just life, and they're ap- and they're apathetic to it. They're they're you know centrist. They yeah. they look at things at like a. Trying it from both sides, but you know they he he's you know he's in the first film you got his coworkers like those goddamn muggers you know yeah. crime is up in the city he's like well you know we live in New York these things happen and I wouldn't say like he's a liberal yeah. bleeding heart you know he's not he's not making a case like well you know uh, we made them this way because yeah uh, you know we we've been teaching them for years that they they are the criminals and yeah. you know he's and, not, and, yeah and instilling in them that yeah. oh yeah no he's not and I think. <laughs> that what is strange about death wish 2 is that paul has pretty much reverted to a pre-murder rape scenario like person in death wish 2 as the same kind of person he was in death wish 1 before all that happened to him he's put so, everything in a little lo- yeah. emotional lock yeah i guess so like he's locked it all away <laughs> and now he's you know he's pretty much assimilated into society as like a normal person architect who doesn't think about those things anymore again and it's kind of it's kind of weird, but at the same time, like I said, it's kind of a reboot scenario where, you know, you have him in his, what I would call moderate stage of political views, where I it it really doesn't seem like he has any. He's not very outspoken about anything really besides mm. work and his home life. There's nothing else. That we get from him. You don't get a political background. No, exactly. So, like, uh, to I, say he's a bleeding heart well, liberal th- is th- hilarious. Well, I, 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 know. Know. I think I think they just label him that because uh, in the first film he says he was a conscientious objector. That's 
So when yeah, he, you, so so when he served in Korea, it was you know. I imagine was, though that there are a lot of people who served in Korea who saw what was going on and they were conscious conscientious objectors and not particularly <laughs> bleeding heart liberal. They just were in a in a war, a, a terrible war. Would seeing you, uh, terrible so, things happen. No, was like people and, consider Quakers. Yeah, right. Bleeding. No, no. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I just can imagine like that scenario. Yes, you saw terrible things happen, and you're not really sure what is right at that point. Uh, that's how I feel that Paul is in that film. In this film, it's it's kind of at the beginning of the film, it's kind of hard to see where he's at politically or. You know, even his views on anything besides what we are given, which is not much. But it really seems like he's reverted back to that, like, well, you know, I can kind of forgive and forget type scenario. I've got a new family now or a new girlfriend that could be a potential wife in the future. And I have my daughter who's doing better. And now I'm kind of over the fact that criminals made her this way. So... I don't know. It just, it, it's kind of strange how the film kind of reverts to that. But we'll get to that in a second. I think we should move to the beer talk first. Yeah. Because I don't know, I don't want to get into too many different layers of the film. Gotta save that and for then, later. Yeah, exactly. Trying and, then, to hook, and then try to, you know. Trying to hook the viewer in. Like, oh. They're a listener on this one. They're listening to us. They could be viewing us, but you refuse to do live, so. Oh, well. <laughs> Can't win them all. That's right. So what? Uh, I'll let you lead. What are we drinking today? I think I heard the bus back over on that <laughs> one. Um, today we're we got a couple of different beers to talk about. Because on Monday we went to a local brewery restaurant. Yep. Um, local in the fact that it was like an hour away. Forty-five minutes. It's an hour. Troy's, Troy's an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it takes a while to get. Well, there. you know what? For most people, that might not be considered local, but the fact that we have to drive forty five minutes to an hour to get to anything, then yeah, it's, it's local. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because um, be, other people would probably take a subway forty five minutes to get to places. Hmm? Yeah, so I guess that is local. Yeah, but we went to uh, Browns Brewery in Troy, and. My first time actually ever going there. Yep. I've been there once before, but I also have growlers to it. Yep. And, um, never been there before. Had been to a concert, though, before that was, like, connected right next door that uh, they own now. Um, at the time, I don't think they owned no, it. No, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was, uh, Revolution Hall in Troy. And I saw Streetlight Manifesto there. It was my first Streetlight show. It was really cool. It's really awesome. Did you skank? No. 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 I'm not good. I'm not good at skanking. Try. You don't have to be good. You just have to be drunk. (laughs) You weren't drunk enough to skank. No, wasn't old enough for that. Ah, yeah. Um, There you go. Though at the second streetlight show I went to in Rochester, I did buy a crowd surf get kicked in the fucking back of my head, and I was pretty pissed off at that. (laughs) I was about to throw elbows at him. That that literally, legitimately, like annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah. It's like what? Keep your fucking feet, you know, up, you idiot. Yep. Well, anywho, we went to Browns, and we tried a couple of beers there. Um, I tried their whiskey porter. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, um, it was good. It was. You can definitely taste, you know, some notes of whiskey because their whiskey porter is aged in a bourbon barrel for two months. Um, it's very good. Uh, porters overall, I like, but I mean, I I don't really have like a great affinity for because i mean i there's such a 
you gotta be in the mood for him. Such a middle ground. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. You're like... Yeah, I would say they're kind, of, they're kind of porters are kind of in like a weird spot, like just like on like the where they stand as a beer. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm like in the mood for them often. Like, if someone were to give me a, a like a choice between a porter and something else, I probably wouldn't pick the porter. I probably would pick whatever else they gave me. Like if it was or something, a, or like if it's like a different take up, or like a whiskey yeah, porter. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure. yeah, I'd try it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, like with this one, the whiskey porter did sound interesting. It wasn't a, a huge uh, ABV, so that no. that's kind of a plus two because we were assuming we're probably going to have like two. So not you don't want a, like a really heavy beer at the time, but it was really tasty. I had a, a sip of yours. And yeah. It was really tasty. Yeah, no, I liked it a lot. Um, it'd be great to have. Have it um, sold in like a pack, but I know they'll never do that. Yeah, with Browns, it's, they're a local be- a brewery, and they're um, they they are pretty big for the area. They sell their stuff at the store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're pretty big in our area. They're not like some really small microbrewery that you know you can only get their beer at the at the restaurant itself. Yeah. Like you can, at, we can actually buy the beer around our area. Uh, but I mean, they are still particularly small in. So for, I find funny that one of their, you know, their main beers I sell is their Cherry Raz. Cherry Raz. Yeah, it's a pretty eccentric beer. For, a very niche beer. Yeah, yeah. For, for their, Which I've never had, because, like you, I'm kind of scared by it. Cherry, I, yeah. Because, I mean, I like raspberry. I do like cherries, but at the same fruit, time. Fruit beers are the, tough. But the, at the same time, cherry, if it's like, if if it tastes too much like cough medicine, yeah, it'll totally fucking ruin the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's the same thing with the grape. And, um. But the whiskey porter, I like, like I said, I it was it was actually pretty. It was a warm day on Monday, so it's yeah, kind of it weird. Yeah, the whole reason I went with it though, because like, oh, it's, you know, I haven't had it, but I mean, like, warm day here was high thirties. Broke out the shorts. Yeah, um, but not just in general. I mean, like, I do like porters, but I mean, if there's like a whiskey porter, or like it's like a different like type of stout, I'd go with the stout, just because I like that more malty and heaviness to it. Um. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good, and I tried their pale ale, which is just your basic pale ale. But as you said, when we uh, you tried too, much mo- weedier and maltier than like a normal pale ale. Heavy wheat, heavy wheat presence uh, the, at the end of the. The hops are yeah. pretty mild on it, so it's got like a much weedier taste to it than most pale. But it's pretty still still pretty good. It was very refreshing. Yep. Um, I had the triad. IPA, which is a triple hopped uh, beer. Well, I should say not triple hopped, but it has three hops in it. Not triple hopped, because triple hopped would indicate that it was hopped three times. Uh, But it has three hops in it. I'm a little bit buzzed right now. I can't remember the hops. I think one was citrus. Yeah, I mean, I I don't remember what they were, but it was very tasty. It was very good. I liked it a lot. It was very refreshing. Yeah, Yeah, not super heavy. Not even not, though it was 9% alcohol. <laughs> yep. And not, um, not overpowering with those hop flavors. So I really liked it a lot. I thought it was a good IPA. Um, the second beer that I had was the, uh, apricot tart. And that was, that's a ghost style beer, uh, a tart flavored beer. And, um, that's not for everybody. Honestly, tart, tart flavors are not for everybody. Not for me. 
I I liked the I, when I tried it. I liked it, but at the same time, it's so sour, and it's like my taste buds were like just like shaking. And I so, mean, I so I mean, I li- I I liked like the like fruitiness of it, but at the same time, it's so sour and it's like so such a weird mix of sour and bitter. Like you know, drinking like apple cider vinegar, it's just I I just I wouldn't be able to drink a whole a whole fucking bottle of it. I, just, I mean, I just can't. To be honest with you, um, I do like tart beers. Um, I do like the ghost style. It it is definitely an acquired taste. I mean, you got to work at it. I don't. I don't even know that you'll like it on the first try. Full beer. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't know if it's like one of those. But if you persevere and you try mm-hmm. and you keep trying to drink it, eventually you'll like it. Um, that so sounds like dr- you're drinking like Milwaukee's best. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, I I have found that eventually, yeah, I like the ghosts. Um, the apricot tart. I will be honest with you, it was super tart. Um, I'm not a huge fan of apricots to begin with, but I don't think the apricot flavor comes out at, like very heavily as much as the tartness just does. Yeah. Like it's it's just not so much apricot flavored, but just tart. Yeah, and um. I'll, I'll be honest, the, drinking the entire glass was a little difficult. Like, the end of it is very, very tart. But at the same time, I did enjoy it. I, I probably would get it again. Um, it's not something that I would recommend to, like, new people who are, dr- like, you know, unless trying they, different beers for the unless, first time. Unless they like sour things. Yeah, exactly. But at the same, but like, unless, suck, who, unless sucking on a lemon head warhead <laughs> was, like, your idea of fun in the late 90s. That's right. And that beer's for you. I mean, I I liked it. I would get it again. Um, I th- I think it's very tart, but I think anybody who likes the ghost style would definitely enjoy this apricot tart. I think I think uh, that's that's my opinion on it anyway. And you know that's a that was a pretty uh, light ABV. I think three and a half. Yeah, it was. It wasn't that heavy on the ABV. But at the same time, this is a beer that you're gonna drink slow, no matter what. You're not you're not gonna be pounding down the tart, honestly. And speaking of, you're gonna be slowly nurturing and caring for a beer. I got two growlers, um, because I do have two growlers to Browns. Uh, so one of them I got was a double IPA, which I have not cracked into yet. Save that for next episode. That's right. But the second I, uh, growler I got. Was a 2015 Old Ale, which an Old Ale is a style of beer. Um, it's been aged in some way, and generally it has a sort of fruity, high alcohol, a, high alcohol content to it. So, and when I say fruity, I mean more of a dried fruit flavor. So he means the garbage fruit. <laughs> so for this 2015 Old Ale, this has been aged two years in bourbon barrels, um, and I know that Martin did not like this beer very much. Hated he, it. He had he had to st- he had to stop drinking it. Hated it. I'm actually drinking his right now. Hated it. But I don't. I, you even beers I don't like. I'll finish. Yeah. I, I could not finish this, this. one. You you couldn't get through. Uh, the reason for that is that it is very raisiny. It is a very, like, dried fruit heavy beer. And as we talked about before when we reviewed uh, Genesee's Double Bock and their winter warmer, 
I do not like raisin. Yeah. I don't like raisins. I don't like raisin notes. I don't want raisin hints. Yeah. And that's two, two, of, the, two of the reasons why those two beers for me are like, meh, very meh, because they had notes of raisin. This beer literally tastes like they took a bottle of Juicy Juice, let it sit out for two years and ferment, and then that's what they got. A raisiny, chunky, two-year-old high-alcohol monstrosity. I absolutely hate it. It's it's soon like I, I was but when you poured it and I was carrying it out before we watched the movie, I was literally carrying my glass down by like my belly button. I could smell it. I could smell it from my from that far away. And I was like, whew. Yeah. And then just by drinking and then drinking it, it's the first thing you taste when you drink this beer is raisin. Pure raisin and uh, raisin Slight bit of malt, very slight. F- little bit of like again more dried fruit like fig and plum, and then high alcohol. It's, 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 I can't do it. It's awful. Yeah. It's like I do not want to. When I think of drinking a beer, I do not ever want a beer to taste like fucking dried fruits, like a shitty little trail mix left over of rye chips, even though I love rye chips, rye chips, wheat checks, and raisins. That's just bad. That's bad. That's, that's a horrible trail mix, and it makes for a horrible beer. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of raisins in my beer either. Um, With this one, it is a heavy raisin flavor to it, and I don't necessarily taste in. A bourbon flavor to it? Not at all. No, I, I don't I, really I, get that taste to it at all. Or an oak or, you know, anything, yeah. any, anything that would resemble this was aged in a bourbon barrel. Yeah. Like that whiskey porter. Right? No, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I don't get that. I get a heavy raisin flavor. Um, there is a high alcohol content to this. Ten. It definitely tastes like alcoholic beverage when this, it's, it's, it's certainly high on that alcohol. It's a 10%. And um, I'm definitely feeling it after two. Um, and, I mean, those are the two things that you're really going to get, both in the smell of it and the taste of it. Um, with that said, I wasn't a huge fan of it when I first started to drink it, but I definitely grew on it. I think that's just the alcohol talking. It could be. Could be. Maybe. Um, but I definitely grew on it. I drank both of them, didn't I? I drank both. You need a Rockdale. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that... I wouldn't say that I would probably get it again. But at the same time, I do think that there is merit to an old ale. Um, I've never tried an old ale specifically before that I know of. Um, I feel like maybe Genesee's Winter Warmer now could be considered an old ale with its raisin flavor to it. Um, I didn't really know that that was a style of beer specifically. Um, but I mean, there is some good for this 2015 old ale. Um, I would recommend it to people who are open to the flavor of raisins, but at the same time, if you're not open to raisin flavors at all, then you probably want to skip out on this. I don't, I don't really think that there's not a whole group of people that would really like this beer that I can think of. Very limited demographic. Yeah, I don't really think there's many people that Man, would... Just imagine when we go to Beer Fest in a month 
if that's the brand, that's the style. Everyone, old ales, or like yeah, like raisiny beers. That'd be awful. That would be very difficult. That'll be my worst honestly. nightmare. I like I'll slap every like per, like representative there. Like, what are I, you what are you thinking? I don't think you can drink much of a of an old ale like this. This is something that you really have to go slow on. It's not even like a dessert beer though, because not like, really. No, it doesn't. It doesn't fit with. It's hard. Yeah, maybe. I guess like a winter warmer. That's now I have a rock deal to cleanse my palates, and it <laughs> tastes like water after that. After that old ale. And if you don't know, because I don't think we brought it up when we were uh, talking about when we did Christmas drinking with the cranks. No, Rockdale Light is Walmart's. Walmart brand beer. And you know what? It's not as bad as you'd think it would be. It's not bad, but at the same time, it is very watery. Like, I'm drinking it now. It tastes like water. It tastes like I am drinking a glass of water. It it has enough... There there is a very malty sweetness to it, though. It is pretty sweet. And I'd say compared to... Compared to, like, Bud Light, this has more flavor. I'll say that compared to Natty Light, even though I like Natty Light more than I like this, and that's not saying much, but I mean... Yeah. I will say Natty Light probably has, like, a slightly more, you know, better taste than this. I mean, in the winter, though, I probably wouldn't choose to drink Rockdale Light. Well, yeah, This is a summer beer, specifically, because you can pound them after you've come in from, like, mowing the lawn or something, and you're fine. Like, this is like a... Thirst quenching beer. Like, yeah. I'm thirsty. I just, like, did some sweaty exercises outside. I need a, yeah. I need a Rockdale light. Yeah. 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 I could see myself saying that in the summer. Yeah. In the winter, no. it's not hardy enough to really fulfill what you're looking for. No, but I, like, at the same time, like I said, I don't think this is as bad as, I just don't think it's as bad. I would drink this over several other beers. I'm just talking about like light beers. I would drink this. Over I would like drink this over Bud Light, Bud Light, Bush Light. I would drink this over PBR, just regular PBR. Nope, can't say that because PBR gives me the shits. I would drink this over Jenny Light because Jenny Light's an abomination. Not sure. I've had it once, like a sip of it. Well, you talk really about sure. you talk about water. Jenny Light is water. It's literally water they scooped out of the Genesee River and just it's in a can. So, yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's not great. It's really cheap for the 30-pack yeah. at Walmart. Um, so, if you're looking for some sort of, like, bargain, that's that's it. And not only that, but and to see, uh, you know, just to kind of have, like, a chuckle. Yeah. It's a knockoff of Coors Light. Obviously, it's got fucking mountains on it. Yeah, but every every light beer does because the whole point is like it's so light and crisp like the rivers that we got the water from. Mm-hmm. Um, don't expect to get drunk off of it though, unless you pound like the whole case because it's only three and a half percent alcohol. Yeah, it's really light on the on the alcohol content you, you too, which yeah. is good for me because I'm drinking it and it's basically like water, and that's what I need right now. It's like when we went to the Yankee game, 110 degree heat and yeah. like. Hey, everyone's here got heat stroke. Well, at least I had heat stroke in some form. Yep. Here's a Bud Light to hydrate you, and then I refused it. I, this is like, no thank you. Yeah. I'd rather die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. That was fun. I, that was a great game. All right, what do you say we get to Death Wish 2? Yeah, I guess we can now.
We got a lot to say about it. We do. You start. You're leading. <laughs> well, you're the one that was just leading it, and now you're like, right, now it's your turn. Well, I'm trying to lead, but then follow. You're making it like a tag team, like, t- like tagging in, like, you know. I like to hear your voice on the podcast. That's mm. why. I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> um, so, as we brought up before, Death Wish 2. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily they should have rebooted, because then at the same time, there's no point in putting two at the end of it. Yeah. But it is the same plot from the original Death Wish. Yeah. Oh, verbatim, same plot. They just, swat, you know, change some dialogue. Yeah, there's a little bit different to it. Uh, like, instead of Paul's wife being killed... It's his daughter. It's, well, it's his daughter and also a maid that he probably doesn't care that much about. Let's be honest. I mean, if we're being honest, he's got a stereotypical... Like, Spanish maid. He fucking doesn't care about her that much. So, like, for her to be dead in this scenario, it means nothing. They, she doesn't even get a funeral if she is dead. They, the film doesn't even tell us if she's dead. So, really, they don't care about just, that part you're of just it. Assuming. Yeah, you're just assuming. She got she got G- railed on gang by rape, a train yeah. of men. They don't... Like, the, the film itself do, doesn't seem to really... Want to make this into like a, like a terrible scenario? It's more like, hey, maybe you'll find this a little unpleasant. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the 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 part of this the film where the rape and murder occurs is kind of off tone from the rest of the film because, and you could say that about Death Wish as well, but in this scenario. I do feel like the rape itself is pretty pretty terrible. I mean, it, it's it's a train of men on this one maid who has been, you know, her clothes are ripped off and then she's, you know, she is used in another room. But at the same time, the film doesn't really want to commit to that level of gratuitous violence or like clockwork orange style you know, sexuality like Death Wish did. Mm-hmm. So Death Wish was more like Clockwork Orange in that aspect. But in this aspect, it kind of wants to have that rape, but then not show the consequences of it or not show any of the actual act of it. I feel like it, the like Michael Winner, the director, thinks that that's tactful. But it's really not. It's really just well, you get to see her, you know her push. And her yeah, you get stuff. to you get to see the so hoo ha and yeah. stuff like that. So and, and, I mean, and when, obviously, and when they ripped her skirt off, I mean, her panties are already disheveled. So obviously, she, she was just she was just asking for it. I mean, I, I feel mean, like Winner thinks that's tactful. Like that's that you know skipping out on the rape itself. I mean, but this is you know it's I, it's a service to the. I mean, I don't know if I I blame him though. I think it's just, I think this whole film top to bottom is just a, an amalgamation of no fucks to be given. Yeah. And not only that too, you got to remember the first Death Wish film people it got a lot of flack for being, you know, graphic and gratuitous and as we were talking about when we got done watching the film violence like the rape scene yeah is, you know, brutal. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a very brutal rape scene, but the violence in it's very kind of it's very toned down compared to Yeah other exploitive films of the, you know, 
era and that would come after it. Same thing in this film. I mean... The well, re- in this film, it's almost comical. So, I, th- I mean, at the same time, I think... So, I think because of that, you know... The uh, the, the backlash that they had on that, Death Wish? Then it's a, yeah, it's l- yeah. slightly tamer. Uh, well, I mean... But at, the sa- but at the same time, too, it's kind of funny because this film comes out in 82. You already have all these other exploitive films out that weren't just... Well, the seven... Yeah, that, the, weren't, that just weren't exploitive films, but they became, you know... Well, the 70s they were... Garnered, they garnered some level of either mainstream or cult success. And not only that, you, you have, at this time, you know, the boom in slasher films. So it's not like... Well, yeah, at this time, you've got... Now, you know, you had, in the late 70s, you had uh, a large um, Italian horror surge... Which, they, most of them became video nasties that were pretty much banned from many countries, like Germany and Britain and stuff like that. Banned from those countries because they were so graphic, Cannibal Holocaust yep. being one of them. Um, and that was post-Death Wish 1. So you have Death Wish 2 coming out, and yeah, that's mostly, you know, during the... The time when slashers were really coming to the forefront, yeah, yeah, yeah to, to to mainstream cinema, and Death Wish Two is actually very much comical in the way that it portrays a lot of its violence. Um, it's it is bloody, but in not in a sense where most people would be turned off by that violence. Well, no, because at the same time, when like people get shot in this film. It's, they're writhing around like like it's like an old western. Like, you got me, partner. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not really. It's not very realistic to what might happen when somebody. Shot. Or the fact that Bronson's like shooting them with. A, a, it's not like a magnum. It's like a nine millimeter. I wasn't paying that much. They don't, attention. They don't make and, it much. And, they don't make it clear. No, I mean I wasn't really paying that much attention to his gun, but I mean. It's not like Dirty Harry shooting, you know, somebody with a forty-four, and you expect them to kind of like burst into <laughs> lurch back. Yeah. He's hitting them with like I'm pretty sure it's a nine millimeter. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but because that I mean I wasn't like paying, like I said, too much attention to the what he was using in this, and so it's like that's what he's hitting with him. The guy's not flying back ten feet like he just yeah. There's, got a, there's multiple kicked, scenes where that happens. Like he got Falcon punched by Captain Falcon himself in Super Smash. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. It, it so, happens quite a bit. Like the one guy that flies off of the um, like the forklift. Yeah, you know that's probably not gonna punch as not even as much as the gun in his previous film, which was what a. 38. 38, yeah. Which was actually, you know, pretty strong in comparison to what he's got now. I don't know. That's that's getting into a whole level of realism that I don't think that Death Wish 2 even really wants to comprehend. Um, I mean, I think we'll start from the actual scenario where, again, he finds himself into, uh, like, a gang situation where a gang confronts him in a line when he's buying ice cream, steals his money in his wallet, and then goes to his house to rape and kill his maid, and then, in well, the process, kill his daughter. Well, the, okay, a little kind of backtrack on that. He's not in Chicago anymore. If you listened last time, previously yep. on the Blood and Black Rum podcast, um, 
We left off with Paul Kersey's in Chicago because he got scared out of New York. Yep. Spend eight years. Or eight. in this film, <laughs> just four years. Four, yeah. Four years. So it's still the 70s. Um, yeah, so it's still, it's 19, <laughs> 1978 apparently, which they all, but they all dress like it's the fucking 80s. But, um, so he's not in Chicago anymore though. He's in LA. Yeah. So you're like, what happened? Yeah. What happened to the Chicago killing spree? Chicago missed out on that? God damn. But no, he's he's in L.A. now because his, uh, he met up with an old flame and she lived out in L.A. working for a radio station. So he ended up moving out there too. Apparently moving his kid who's in asylum out there too. Moving not only that but his company. He has a, No, and he isn't, it's not his company. He works for that architect yeah. company. He's just uh It's hard to believe that his architect company spans pretty much every fucking state in the US though. Yeah, they could. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. They're they're making five hundred thousand dollar doorways. That's true, man. Yeah, that's true. Apparently they must be doing something right. Someone's like, Alright, yeah, I'll pay five nineteen eighty two, willing to pay five hundred thousand dollars. That's true. For a fucking right, door. I'll, I'll grant you that. Yeah, maybe they do have <laughs> that's maybe not, they do have every major that's, city in that's the That's not the straw that's gonna break the camel's back on this film. Not that's not, true. not even true. close, but so yeah, he moves out to LA. He seems to be back to normal, living a normal life, enjoying his girlfriend, visiting his daughter who's in the asylum, who seems to be getting a little bit better. She's not Doing great, because well, I praised the first Death Wish film and how they kind of deal with the trauma of being raped. That they, At least they, I'm not saying they did it perfectly, but at least they addressed the idea that after being raped and like witnessing like somebody get killed, you're going to be traumatized and you're going to have a hard time, you know, trying to figure out and dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't take it as well as... Paul Kersey does. Well, he's the man. He's got, he's, got a co- he's got a cock and balls. That's yeah. all he needs to deal with uh, he isn't, yeah. his problems. But So, I'll give him credit for at least a te- Again, it was made in 1974. Give him credit. I'll give him credit where it's due. Spent eight years. What's she doing now? She hasn't gotten better at all. No, she's... In fact, she's gone the whole Tropic Thunder full retard route. Yeah. She's now just a f- walking vegetable. Like, oh... Yeah, she speaks, you know, once and again, but every now and then we can't really get her to talk. And Bronson's still yelling at the doctors, like, you you can't do anything? I'm never going to see her be normal again? And they're like, oh, we're trying. And she's just literally walking out, like, ooh, glass figurine. Oh. Yeah, this is... What I, what I mentioned when we were watching the film is that this almost feels like the, the film did not want to deal with, that character. with a kind of character that is somewhat disturbed and so instead of dealing with it just they just got they got rid of her just rape her yeah just get rid of her just rape her again raper killer it's it's all good she throws herself off you know off the window she can't escape she just throws herself off the window and yeah through a fucking i i i mean like <laughs> yeah what the one of the biggest problem the issues with death wish 2 for mo for a lot of viewers is going to be how they treat her character because she is pretty much brutalized, and and really, that's all we've seen of this character is that she gets raped, not once, twice, now twice, 
And this, then, time, this time and, by like a whole gang long. Yeah, then, then a gang. Yeah, a gang of people. And then throws herself out a window to death. And that's kind of saying like, you'd rather be dead than raped. <laughs> and and I, I don't... I, I, well, have you, have you seen some... Like post on the internet. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, and I, I definitely think that that stands now. But I think for this film that it looks really bad because they don't want to deal with that character. They would rather just kill her off than say, okay, she has a legitimate psychological dilemma, and actually give it a profound meaning well at the same film. time it's the 80s do you really expect them in 80s films to deal with i don't know i mean i just no, think that I, I mean, i'm not gi- i'm not i'm not giving this like a, a pass on that but i'm saying nobody like during this time period yeah. was you know yeah let's do it i mean it's really unfortunate uh for the actress who plays her robin sherwood yeah, I mean that she she got nothing to do in Death Wish. No, she did. She got a paycheck. Is what she got. I guess. Show, but, I mean, she... show us your tits again. You know. Well, yeah, that does happen. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I mean, basically, Death Wish and Death Wish Two got out of it. Like we got some boobs, and now you're gone and get out of here. You know, obviously we'll be back for Death Wish Three, but maybe in maybe in a flashback. <laughs> So I mean, yeah, it it's it's very rough around the edges. We'll, we'll, I'll say that for Je- Death Wish Two. I mean, to give Paul Kersey the same exact issue that a gang has has targeted him, has raped his daughter, and in this case now killed his maid rather than his wife. It's too similar. They needed to come up with something else. I know, and the whole motive that they had is the fact that they they took his wallet from him when he was trying to buy ice cream. Yeah. And the fact he tracks one of them down and beats the shit out of them, that's why they show up. He's like, oh, I got his wallet. I'm gonna, I want to get, you know, revenge. So they show up at his house and break in so they can, you know, beat the shit out of him for it. Yeah, it's just and, too similar. I, I don't... You, wouldn't you think, like, if you, like, that... An old fucker tracked this one guy down after getting jacked and beat the shit. Like, you pull a switchblade out and he still beats the shit out of you for, like... Wouldn't you think, like, I don't want to tell my buddies I got the shit beat out of me by that old yeah, fucker. Right? Yeah, Just be like, oh, yeah, move on. Take his money go. You get yourself some ice cream. Yeah. No, you know, you got... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Maybe I... they were talking to Jeff Goldblum from the first film. Like, yeah, we raped his wife and... Actually, Daughter, we, and we got away with it. And yeah, we got yeah. away with it. So you know, I don't know. I just don't buy the whole scenario. But that's even not my biggest issue with Death Wish Two. My biggest issue with Death Wish Two is that once that happens to Paul Kersey and he decides, okay, I need to take up my mantle as vigilante again, that the police do not connect the dots. That's my biggest issue because. There is no possible way that a Paul Kersey in New York City in Death Wish number one was a vigilante who killed a bunch of people. Police force knew about it, but they let him go. Now, Paul Kersey shows up in Los Angeles. Same exact scenario happens to him here. And the police even pointed out to him in this film. That, hey, we realize that the same thing happened to you in New York City. And, you know, I can't, you know, that's that's strange. 
They pointed out to him, and now vigilanteism is happening again. There is no way, no way that a police force does not connect the dots And bring him in to question him. So, you know. No way. There is no way. I just don't, I don't buy that 100%. And that, that is, I guess, you know, you have, in, in these situations, in these films, you have to go with, like, some sort of, like, I don't know. But if the, me- I say, if, the mess- if the message is to show that, like, hey, vigilanteism is, you know, sometimes justified, you have to make the cops look inept. This is, because, this because is beyond I, reason, though. I know. I, well, I understand. <laughs> but, like, you have to. So, like, because Kersey's even telling them. He's like, when they're asking him, like, didn't this happen to you before? He's like, I got, you know, the same thing happened to my wife. And, I, and later on, they ask him to try to go down to the station, identify the muggers. And he's... Play like, oh, this happened all so fast. I don't know what happened. He's not saying that because he didn't know what happened. He knows what happened. He remembers. He's just not going to tell him because he's going to take it into his own hands. And he doesn't rely on the cops at yeah. that point. And, ah. s- and so, the but the cops are like, might jog your memory? And he's like, eh, you know. I think cops are inept. I think sometimes our legal system does harbor a a possible... You know, it, it's hard to sometimes get the justice that you you deserve. At the same time, this is this is stretching it way too far. This is this is why Roger Ebert gave this film zero out of four stars because he could not get past the concept that a police force that is working in tandem with the New York City police force could not figure out that Paul Kersey was in two different places where vigilantism occurred. So he gave Black Christmas a zero out of four. <laughs> no. Because the, the only competent film in that film is John Saxon. That's that's true. The competent cop in that film is John Saxon. But <laughs> but I, I don't... I just... I can't buy this from Death Wish 2. And I think that's the biggest problem with this film. Is that I would be okay with it if they gave some other reasoning behind Paul Kersey's movement to I think track would, down vig- uh, criminals. I think it would have been a smarter idea to have the lead inspector in L.A. be the one kind of following track and not bringing back uh, Vincent Gardenia as Frank Ochoa. Yeah. I think yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. Really. Ha- yeah, to have a New York cop come out of his jurisdiction all the way out to fucking L.A. because like because the whole reason is like shit, we let him go, we let him get away. Yeah, we knew it. We didn't pro- like shit. So like so it's like like oh, we're dirty cops, so we gotta kind of go and fix fix this shit again. It would have been smarter if they just had whoever you know the main cop in L.A. Try and track it down. Like, I think it's this guy. We're going to try to figure out if it is him. Just have it like that. And then that makes much more sense. And then you can have Vincent Gardinia back as, you know, like a cameo role. And, like, being like, oh, how'd you do deal with the vigil- vigilante? And then him, you know, telling his spiel about, like, oh, this is how we did it. But, yeah, you know, I mean, in hindsight, he wasn't that bad because, you know, our crime has gotten better. To, yeah, to, to push I, that message that you know. I think yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that you want to have for this film specifically because it is pro vigilantism. It is pro like make sure that you <laughs> you take justice into your own hands if if people aren't going to do it for you. I think that maybe if they had yeah, at least used Vincent Gardini as a as a message for the LA cop like 
you know, maybe he's doing some good here. Maybe we can't, we can't police everything. Just let him go. Just let him go. You know, that would have worked better than having Vincent Gardenia come back as Franco Ochoa in L.A., which you said now he's acting as a vigilante. He is basically the same thing as as Paul. Uh, then except it's that not, it's not only just that he's acting as a vigilante. He's he's, at, he's doing it to cover his own ass because mm-hmm. again they let him go, so they his bosses make him go over there to try to stop him again. So it's and that's a, it's like it's like Batman v Superman. Superman's pissed off because Batman's a vigilante. It's like uh, Superman. You're a vigilante too. Yeah. No one said, "Hey, Superman, save us from fucking Zod." You just decided to be a good idea, you know, to destroy half of Metropolis in the process. Yeah. And now you're like, "Oh, Bruce Wayne, he's an asshole." <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it's just it's the same thing. It's one thing I will say about this whole Los Angeles setting, though, is that I do prefer the revenge aspect of Paul's work. To Death Wish One, which was just basically like I'm going to kill random people because they are. I think the first, and that's criminals. where, and that's where I think the first one. That's, that's a problem with the first one. I think he should have done what he did in the first one, killing just random criminals, but at the same time go after those that that actually did yeah. something to his. Family. So he, so he's yeah. still looking for revenge, but at the same time, when he sees people who are doing that kind of shit, he snuffs it out. Yeah, because the cops aren't able to do that. So I, and I think that would make it a more impactful like vigilante story. Like I think the the fact that they didn't have him go after because like it's like if they did have him just go after it, then it'd be like oh, it's not vigilanteism, it's revenge. Yeah. But I think if you have him doing both, it becomes more you can justify it more that he's you know he's doing you know you see him doing it because that's his motivation. You see like, going after who hurt his family. His motivation, but at the same time, the fact he's targeting other people too is showing that he, you know, it's not just a matter of event, it's a matter of, it's right. not safe to walk the streets and, you know, people are getting mugged and, you know, this is how I'm going to deal with it. And I kind of find it funny that, and not that it's just this film, in the original Death Wish, but in Death Wish 2, they also, everyone's just a fucking mugger. I wouldn't, once these people break into his house and rape his daughter, they're not just, oh, they're muggers. They're rapists and murderers. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, he's just killing muggers. It's just muggers that broke. No, they're rapists. They're murderers. Muggers is just kind of something that also they do. Yeah, I mean, apparently that's, that's pretty much rapists is their claim to fame because that's, in Death Rush 2, that's all that they're doing, really, is they're picking they're picking on specific women to grab and Grope, then yeah. whatever they're going to do to them later. Because and not, only that, and not only that too, you we see several times there's someone kind of like when he's tra- when Paul's and Charles Bronson's tracking these people down, and he's like watching them. They're like lifting up random chick skirts and like smacking their ass and like groping their boob and. There's people around. Yeah. Not just like other thugs, but other people around. They're kind of like, hey, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't touch her pussy like that. That's not right. You know, this woman's getting accosted on a bus, sitting next to an old man with a cowboy hat, who I'm sure has kicked the shit out of some punks in his day. They're like grabbing her tit, and he's like, hey, don't do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, 
wouldn't, wouldn't you, even if you're going to get the shit kicked out of you, wouldn't you want to at least, like, stand up and try and do something about that? Like, maybe it's, maybe, maybe that's what saying. Maybe, maybe in my fantasy world, I, I mean, I'm thinking that people would do that, but at the same, I do realize at the same time, being in that situation is a total different thing. Yeah. But, it's, you know, but you'd like to think people would react to, like, if that was happening. They would want to. Try to do something, even if you know you're gonna get probably get the shit beat out of you too in the process. You might wanna. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of of Death Wish too. I don't think they were thinking that deep. That's true. It's kind of like uh, with Dawn of the Dead. I think people are thinking a little too deep on that. You might be thinking a little too <laughs> deep on this one too. That's true. <laughs> but you know what we haven't talked about is the crazy soundtrack to this film. You mean amazing? Yeah, that's right, amazing. <laughs> so. There's a lot of different stuff in this film. A lot of things going on musically. Yeah. It's messy, to say the least. Haphazardly slapped together. So, inspiring from, like, all different parts of, like, cinema. So, Jimmy Page does the main theme. That's right. The As you can hear in our intro, that uh, song that we play is, that's right, the Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin doing that theme. (laughs) It's just funny thinking about it. But the rest of the composing is not done by Jimmy Page, which it would seem like from the credits. The opening credits, they say music composed by. They don't say intro, they say music composed. So you'd think like, did he do it? But if as you did, as we did, stick around and watch the end credits. No, it was some... Yeah, it was it was a different person that did the rest of the the composing. But this film is just filled with all kinds of different compositions and they don't really fit together. And with constant constant there's like no no scenes with any any silence. Right. Any it's all it's he's walking down the street, got to play something jaunty to go with it. Yeah. It's constantly very it's tone deaf. There's no real attention to detail within these scenes. So when there's something depressing happening, there may not be music to cue you in that you should be depressed about it. As I said, there's a lot of music. um, I was talking to you about at least. There's a lot of music in this film that's very like 80s sitcom-y or soap opera-y. Like... Just like, oh, he's having a tender moment with his girlfriend. Kind of like, you know, this like, doo doo Like electric piano that you'd hear back then. <laughs> like, oh, like, oh. Yeah. You almost expect to hear, like, the audience, oh, yeah. And then as soon as, like, something, like, it's supposed to be, like, horror-related, it's, like, literally, John Carpenter, like, stings of, like, synth, like, There's actually a sting when, when uh, he's writing out a... Letter. Uh, le- well, it's actually like well, an ID card yeah. for a mental hospital. He's writing out the name of a doctor on the on the ID card, and he messes up. So he he balls up that paper and throws it on the floor, misses his trash can. There's a sting, a legitimate like horror sting that he's missed the trash can. So you know, as the viewer, 
Oh shit, that's going to be something later on. And it is. It is something <laughs> later on. I'll give the film credit for at least it's something later yeah, on. Yeah, right. The, the worst thing that they could do was actually just skip over it. <laughs> drop it. Not really, not really care about it after they the fact. To, they just totally drop yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. No, at least they do actually care about it later on, and they come back to it. But, yeah, I mean, the, the whole... Death Wish 2 as a whole is very much an amalgamation of things. It's, it's not as clear-cut as Death Wish... I feel like Death Wish probably is the 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 key film in this series. I haven't even seen three, four, or five, but I'm just imagining that the original is probably the best. Well, yeah, after but seeing Death Wish, well, too. that's like Dirty Harry. Yeah. Anyone gonna tell me what the rest of the Dirty Harry films are? And give you a hint. Guarantee you, most of you cannot name another one of those sequels. Yeah. I can, but I'm telling you that most other people, I guarantee, probably can't. Because you want to know why? Those films aren't any good, and they're not worth the time or effort. Um, I won't say that about Death Wish, because... Uh, you you think 3 is better than 2. Well, we'll talk about that, yeah. yeah I mean, I think that Death Wish 2 suffers from the common sequel problems, is that it's trying to copy the first one, but doing something new. And there's not a lot new to do... With the vigilante themes that it's got, it's also not tackling the issues with vigilantism that the original film did. So there's no, there's no real um, impetus behind the film. Yeah, and there's not. There's no um, reference to like the world accepting the fact that there's a vigilante in Los Angeles at this time. Like the first film had magazine covers that Every- were devoted. Fucking, as we mentioned in the last part, every fucking publication in the 70s worldwide was talking about vigilantism in New York. Yeah. Time. People. Apparently people used to run not, you know, celeb gossip bullshit. Yeah. It was Newsweek. The kids like highlights or whatever the fuck. <laughs> every newspaper and, and like, pu- any article was being published, in a, like on billboards everywhere too. In, in LA, it's like no one gives a shit. You're, yeah. It's like, hey asshole, you're in LA. Get in line. We, there's, a, there's a whole, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's prior to the problem though with this theme is that I, I think that the well has run dry for this, that vigilantism works. In this film, it honestly feels like Death Wish 2 is saying that, you know what, it doesn't really work, but Paul Kersey's doing it anyway. At some points they do, because um, at the end when he kills his last victim, you have one of the the guard that let him in come walk in and see him, and he just, after he's, he sees the dead body that he killed, and he sees that Kersey's been stabbed and wounded, and he's just sitting there, and you hear Bronson say, you know, he raped and killed my daughter, and he's like, yeah, I read about it. And he's like, okay. And the guy's like, I'll give you three minutes. So the fact that he's even calling the cops on it, it, and letting, is showing that, like, that it's not right. Yeah. That, like, this, if, obviously, if he thought it was a justified murder, he would be like, yeah, the cops are coming, and we'll just sort this out. It's not a big deal. You'll, you know, get off. No one's going to give a shit. Right, because I could honestly see Death Wish 2 playing it up like that. Where Paul continues to play the part of the doctor and says, yo, he attacked me. You know, he was... That would have made more sense. I could not... 
you know, I could not stop him from attacking me. He was psychologically, you know, deficient. And, you know, I had to do what I had to do. And that would make more sense within the the film's political stance than what actually happens. Because they, they are basically saying in this film, too, they reference it quite a bit, is just like, when they're talking about, like, they say they're not doing electroshock therapy anymore because you doctors think it's barbaric. But, yeah. you know, you're doing this whole therapy, trying to get in touch with their feelings. Right. And so what they're basically saying is, you know, they're animals. Kill them anyway, you know. Yeah. Should shock them until they, you know, maybe become upstanding citizens. It, so it's like this... <laughs> yeah. This film <laughs> Very doesn't... loose grasp on, like, psych- psychology, where it's just like... Hey, hey, you know, you give them this pussy treatment, you should be shocking them, you know. Yeah. My aunt, when she, in the 50s, she had a lobotomy, she turned out alright, drooled a little bit, but yeah, you know. <laughs> I think the biggest thing with uh, Death Wish 2, too, is that, at least in Death Wish 1, the criminals never really stood a chance of being caught. It was kind of like a one-off thing where Paul happened to occur in happened a, like, happen- had a scenario where this occurred. And, you know, he dealt with it. Wherein, in Death Wish 2, there is a time where Paul is trying to track down part of, one of the members that raped and murdered his daughter. And he knows that the cops are going to arrest him anyway for the murder of a cop. It's going to happen. Yeah. There's no way that it's not going to happen. And yet, he is determined to kill that person before the cops arrest him, and and but the the film tries to justify it because he like oh the the guy got off yeah because he was high on PCP so yeah. he was in a right mental state it, so it, he so he's getting and because there's the evidence is circumstantial and he was on PCP we're just gonna say uh, you know he's uh he's got to go to a mental institute so it's like Kersey's justified in doing what he did because the justice system let him down and that, that's what they're trying to get across but at the same time it's you know. Yeah, it's not like they're saying. It's funny too, because okay, say that the because um the man kills the the detective from the first film, Frank Ochoa. Yep, and he gets off for it, but at the same time he assaults the shit out of several police officers, throwing oh, yeah. them around like rag dolls and like like he's in a like he's fucking Hulk Hogan, and you're gonna tell me yeah, we're just gonna put. In the 80s, and even today, they're not putting somebody in a fucking mental hospital for being high on PCP and being the shit out of cops. He's going to jail for quite a while for assault of a police officer. They're not my... Eh, until he gets to the right mental state. Yeah. It's not... He was on the right... He's on PCP. He's not gonna be in the right... Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, I think it's that... Just, it's, it's just... They're, again, they're using it as, like, a scapegoat. They as, are. To, to get to the whole... Yeah, this, this film... Of, ju- of justice failing Kersey again. It wants to... Yeah, it, it does it in any way possible to give him the right to go and kill people, <laughs> I I believe. And I think that here, the it unravels. Like, you can see, like, okay, maybe he didn't make the right decision in this scenario, but... <laughs> But he's kind of stuck with that. So he has to fix it in whatever way possible. Um, I don't think that it works as much as Death Wish. And I didn't even think Death Wish worked that well. But I think here in Death Wish 2, there's not that much to go on. That really, you're you're not really rooting for Charles Bronson's character. So much as you're thinking like, 
he's honestly kind of psychologically demented now. Like I said in the film, I think you would better read this these this film series as Paul Kersey losing his mind and finding everyone around him to be psychologically like demented to the point where he has to murder them in order to maintain the peace. I think that seeing him as the person who has the deficiency is more accurate to what you would find than, than this film shows because Honestly, so far the Death Wish series has shown like pretty much everybody has a form of either criminality to them or mental retardation to the point where they cannot be re- rehabilitated into society. Well, they're just the Utes. Right, exactly. The, it's youth, the Utes. The Utes of America. The Utes of America, they cannot be rehabilitated into normal society. They are just lost and someone has to deal with them. And I, you know... Maybe that was the thinking at the time, but it's now watching this film. It's very comical to the point, you know, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. It's almost like watching somebody who has a psychological impairment walk around thinking everybody's out to get him because that is what death wish is. Literally everyone is, (laughs) literally everyone is out to get Paul Kersey and, and, I would much rather see this as him being <laughs> damaged than society being damaged because it's a more uplifting. I just love the fact that there's all these fucking youth thugs out there doing all this shit, and people are just like, "Oh no, stop!" Right? They're they're everyone in this, and apparently everyone in society is Willy Wonka. Yeah. No, stop! Please don't. Wait. Yeah. That kind of bullshit ain't gonna be tolerated. Doesn't matter where. Like, you know, if there's enough people... Again, like I said, people aren't gonna tolerate that shit. Yeah. You know, like, you know, someone's gonna go up and, like, smack Lawrence Fishburne in his ass and be like, cut that shit out now! Yeah. Stop wearing stupid glasses. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem with Death Wish 2 is that just much of it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really fit with the... with the theme of the previous film... Um, it feels very tone deaf. Uh, I think that it, it wants comedy where comedy isn't really even. Shouldn't be a comedy. Yeah. There's no reason why, um, some of the antics of, you know, the New York city police officer Ochoa should be comical. You know, I think it worked in death wish one to a certain extent, but in death wish two, it really feels like it. It's forced. Yeah. And and I don't... It, it almost feels like Vincent Gardini is a part of the Three Stooges. It, it just does not feel authentic to this role at all. I think they really pushed for Ochoa into this film. I don't even... His presence isn't even necessary. No, like I said, all he had to be is a cameo. Yeah. Just make... Instead of it being him as like the focal point detective, just have it be the LA one. Yeah. And then trying to deal with it. Yeah, and, then, and then as they're making the connections between, you know, Kersey and the vigilantism and then what happened in New York. And then he can contact the NYCPD and then have him talk to them. Yeah. And talk to Ochoa briefly. That'd be like a nice little, you know, cameo. But no, they had to be like, oh, gotta throw him in there. You know, yeah. People are gonna be like, oh yeah, he was the, he was the first one. He had like an asthma thing and 
We haven't talked about Paul's, like, new lover in this film, but I think that Jerry, which is played by Jill Ireland, who is actually Charles Bronson's wife in, in real life, I don't think that she's necessary, and I think that they're... This film is trying to make a love interest out of it that goes nowhere at the end of no. the film. It goes not only that, it goes I think the whole purpose of her being there is to show like he's oh, that's his connection to like normalcy. Is the fact that he's, you know, trying to reconnect with somebody. And so at the end, you can see that the vigilanteism when she finds out that he really did all those things and she leaves, you know, without telling him and that that you know, he's like, oh, he's paying the price for taking justice into his own hands. But it, is, it, but it adds up. It adds up to nothing because you don't feel it. It's not like oh, it's the, the conclusion to this film is really weird. It's a it's a out of nowhere thing where Jerry leaves him. She's supposed to marry him. They're supposed to like go off to Mexico and get married, and she leaves him because she finds out that yeah, he has actually been committing all these murders. So, in in a sense, Jerry is the audience. Supposed to find, like, well, Paul's been doing some pretty shitty things lately. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think that the film wants us to, to associate with Jerry. I feel like the film wants us to find Paul in the right, and Jerry just not... She just doesn't understand. She doesn't understand where he's coming from. And that's a really mixed message. And it doesn't make sense. And the film's conclusion... Is very, is is a very abrupt ending to this film because it honestly it doesn't even address the emotional impact that it has on Paul. He doesn't seem to care. He doesn't care about anything. He's literally a psychopath. He doesn't at, at care. This point, yeah, this yeah. Point, yeah. He just does not care. He has no feelings whatsoever. He goes back to work. He's fine. He he doesn't. He has no worries about being implicated in a vigilante crime spree. Again, yeah. yeah. Like, like, we even thought, like, hey, maybe if after, you know, so somebody might catch wind, like, hey, didn't Paul Kersey, you know, have his wife killed in New York by muggers and there was a spree of vigilantism? Now it's happening here. Yeah. I mean, they even think, this incredibly intelligent man didn't think about, you know, any, yeah. any of these things. He doesn't He's, care. It's just, I don't know, it's mind-boggling how that would happen. I think that the the ending to this film it leaves a lot to be desired. If you were going into this and you were thinking, like, I need a sequel to this, that ending would pretty much put an end to, like, your enjoyment of the series. <laughs> I don't see how you would be hoping for a Death Wish 3. But as we know, it came. <laughs> we got another one. And another one, and another one. Um, we didn't talk about the acting at all. Yet. We didn't talk about the acting, and we also didn't talk about Paul Kersey's disguise, his hat. He <laughs> <laughs> looks like Joe Pesci from Home Alone. Yeah. Yes, he does. I, I do. yeah, in, I in Los Angeles, running around with like a fucking ski cap on. Yeah, I know it's not covering his ears, but still, like everyone's like, "Hey, buddy." Yeah. 75 degrees here. <laughs> I feel like somebody thought that Charles Bronson would look pretty cool with an intimi- intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. It does not. <laughs> it is the exact opposite. I feel like he is a like an old demented man 
who is homeless. like yeah. yeah who's like walking around the streets of la and people are like are you okay sir <laughs> do you need a do you need a room for the night <laughs> you know you're wearing you're wearing a ski cap it's 75 degrees outside yeah i i just yeah i don't know and the fact that no one recognized him from his fucking mustache his pencil yeah that's fit, true his pencil the thin first mu- <laughs> thing to go if you were going to be a vigilante and not want to be recognized is your mustache that's the first thing oh hey it's the same guy with the pencil thin mustache yeah. but he doesn't grow hair in the middle anymore. i agree uh, yeah that and you want to cut your hair yeah because he has a pretty pretty uh, you know i i would think that's a pretty distinct haircut Feathered, yeah, bob cut. Yeah, for... yeah. <laughs> I mean, I for the acting itself. This is a film that legendary Ebert gave zero out of four stars, uh, which means that he didn't even find any artistic value in Death Wish Two at all. Um, I think that you know, I think he was being a little bit of a grumpykins <laughs> on this one. I well, do as, think as, that as he's known to be Charles Bronson phones in his performance, but it's not too much different from the original Death Wish. No. I, but I, it's not even his, him phoning it in that's... Yeah. The word. Like, everybody! Yeah. His wife, Jill Ireland, is a total fucking bore. Yeah. Totally yeah. bore. Wooden. Every, they should just name this film, like, Wooden Plank. Yeah. Everybody is so wooden in this film. Even when they're trying to come across as like, you know, like, oh, ha, ha, you know, everybody, across the board, wooden. It's pretty bad when the most exciting portion of your film is the soundtrack, because it's all over the place. You never know what you're going to get yeah. with that soundtrack. So, I think that's probably the main draw of Death Wish 2, is that the soundtrack is eccentric. Jimmy Page? Yeah, you got Jimmy yeah. Page on there. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I think that Charles Bronson... He's kind of phoning it in in this one as Paul Kersey. He doesn't really have to act that hard. But at the same time, like Jill Ireland, absolutely like in it for the paycheck because she's Charles Bronson's wife and she gets to be in it because he asked for her to be in it. I think that's probably the main reason she's in this at all. Um, Ochoa is in it because he was in the first one and they want to link to the first one. I, I don't know, and he gets a paycheck. I don't think there's anything else to do with that. And then everyone else is really not even a factor in this film. Except Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne, who third. also goes, yeah, he goes in this film by Lawrence Fishburne III. But you'll definitely know him. Oh, yeah, when you see him. Like Jeff Goldblum, like all great actors that come to be in Hollywood, you start off as a low-bit, two-bit raping hood. Yeah. So not just Jeff Goldblum, kids. You also got Lawrence Fishburne. And unfortunately... Isn't, isn't it great to think of yeah. that, like, they both got this start, like, oh, would you, would you get started career? I, I was a, a rapist in Death Wish. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, Lawrence Fishburne, he gets ridiculous 80s sunglasses, like he's trying to look like Brett the Hitman Hart. Jeff Goldblum gets to say, goddamn rich cunts, I hate rich cunts. Yeah. I mean, who who won that one? Yeah, I mean, well, with, like, with like Lawrence Fishburne in this film, he's not even that memorable. No. No, compared to... At Jeff- least Jeff Goldblum is memorable in that film. But you, Lawrence Fishburne is now, I would say he's memorable now, because you can look at like, oh my god, that's Lawrence Fishburne. I really feel bad for him in this film, because he, he gets, like, the, like a stereotypical part. Of a hood. 
Yeah, but so is Jeff Goldblum playing like just yeah, like, but more stereotypical is, black, and it really feels like that's like a a jab at like black people. <laughs> he gets to fucking dance around on a pole to like eighties rock music. It's really I don't know. It's just well, guess, well, it's then, a product of the time. Well, I'll you say said that. you should play the clip from Hollywood Shuffle. Black, yeah, I know. Black acting school. That's right. What'd you get to play? Oh, Probably now looking back, I would assume that he's a little bit ashamed of Death Wish 2. Maybe, maybe he's like, I'm get my foot in the door. Who knows? That's true. That's true. Who knows? Could it be any worse than being Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee's Playhouse? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. With that Jerry Curl? I don't know. God, he should have been in, he should have been in, uh, Coming to America with that, with that Jerry Curl. Yeah. Let his soul glow. So, out of 10, I'm trying to think of a good one here. Yeah? Out of 10 Charles Bronson mustaches, mm. what would you give, what I give Death Wish Death 2? Wish two. I gave Death Wish 1 a 7.5. I think I'm going to have to go a full point lower and give Death Wish 2 a 6.5. Really? Yeah. You're going to be you're nicer than I am. Really? Yeah. Five and a half. You're gonna get five and a half. This film. So you dropped three points yeah. from Death Wish One to Death Wish Two. And and again, this film is enjoyable for the sheer soundtrack idiocy. It's, this is a this is what I would say is a film that it's so bad you have to watch to enjoy. Yeah, it is. I would put it up there, but it's not like as enjoyable as some others. I think. I think this film, like, it just totally misses the mark. It's, like, so off-key. Yeah. That it, compared to the first one. It's really hard. Like, even to- if you like the first one, you're gonna, like, like, like I do. It's gonna be hard to be like, hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's really hard to believe that, like, almost everybody on this film was in the first one. Yeah. You had the same director. Yeah. You had Bronson. You had, you know, some other recurring characters. Yeah, Ochoa, Vincent Gardini is a recurring character. Um, you get Reb- Robin Sherwood as Carol Kersey. She comes back just to, you know, kind of be retarded. But, um, you know, it's it's really hard to believe that the same people who made the first one, which, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy as much as I probably, as as you did, for one thing. But it's hard to believe that the same people who made that film made this film and really just fucked up so much more. Well, like I said, I th- I think that ha- I don't think it has to do with the people on it. I think it's more just just nobody cared. Yeah, they they were all probably getting the call to make this movie. Like, really? Yeah. You want to do a sequel? How much am I getting paid? Right. Oh, all right then. All right, yeah, let's do a sequel. Um. Yeah, I I can't give it a six and a half, just because there's just so much, so many flaws, and it's just, and you know what? For an hour and twenty eight film, this yeah, like, it does. It feels interminable. Yeah, <laughs> it does. There's a lot of stuff in here that you just don't need. You don't like you said. You don't need Jill Ireland. You don't need that faux love story of him like like oh because his vigilantism he lost you know. Some semblance of humanity there, right? You don't need any of that. And you could have had a different means for him to become the vigilante again. You didn't have to have the same damn thing happen again. Right. You know, it's just... 
It's it's just like like I said, it's like everything they did right in the first film, they made sure to do wrong here. Yeah. Just like let's see how we can fuck it up. That is true. I agree with that, definitely. So I mean, I'll give it a five and a half. Though I even though I'm giving it a low score, I will say I do enjoy it for the fact that what it is a camp, an unintentionally campy mess. I think that Jimmy Page's opening theme, theme song is pretty catchy. No, it's great. I love it. But other than that, the soundtrack is I really messed I, up. I I just I and I do love the soundtrack too, just because of the random like Carpenter inspired like synth stings yeah. like. Like it's again, like as I was telling you, it's like they're watching like te- like some channel like Tenebrain, like oh yeah, we're gonna have like these you know little synth and vocoder stings, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I I, I enjoy it a little bit, but I I think that in a film itself, it, it really doesn't work. But um, I'm really interested to see what. Three, four, and five hold for us. It'll be fun because we got those coming up. Yeah, those are, three will be our next episode, and we'll work through four and five as the series progresses. Yeah. So um, stick around for our our next episodes in the in the podcast series. We are excited and somewhat hesitant <laughs> to view those. Uh, you've seen three, four, and five, right? Yeah. But just probably once, once or twice. I've seen three a couple of times, so I know three. But four and five, I have only seen once, and I don't remember as well. Yeah. I just remember being very skeptical on them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see three, because you said you liked it more than two. So. For all the right reasons. I'm I'm, <laughs> sort of, I'm definitely interested. Um, A little bit of administrative duties. We are... On iTunes, you can subscribe to us and leave us a nice review. We appreciate that. It helps us get noticed. Uh, We're up on SoundCloud. That's where our episodes go up first. Uh, You can follow us on there and like any of our posts. We really appreciate that. Uh, We're on Facebook, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Like us. Uh, We have a group as well. So if you want to join our group and post a discussion about any of the films that we cover, um, we can talk about that. And we are on Twitter. It's at Blood and Black Rum uh, because of the text uh, limitations. We can't do Blood and Black Rum podcast. Uh, so Blood and Black Rum, N as in Nancy. Um, tweet us on there. Uh, we do post uh, each of our episodes on there. Not much more than that right now because I, I do handle two different Twitter accounts, and it's difficult, but you can always hit us up on that, and we'll respond back to you. Uh, we have an email address, bloodinblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Um, send us your requests for any movies that you want us to cover, and we will definitely try to get on that. We appreciate hearing any nice feedback from you. Um, we also have a website, bloodinblackrumpodcast.wordpress.com. I try to post each of our episodes on there. Um, not more than that, but, uh, you know, it's a good place to keep up to date with us. So, uh, make sure you check that out. And, uh, we also have a Patreon account, uh, patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. You can subscribe to us on there. You can follow us. Uh, you can donate to us. Uh, any donation will be repeated every month. So if you, uh, donate a dollar, you'll donate a dollar a month. 
Um, it helps us keep our podcast going. It helps us with things like subscription fees and, and uh, you know, SoundCloud fees and things like that. So uh, definitely, uh, if you can, please donate to us. And we really appreciate anything that you can give to us. Um, thank you for that. And thank you for all of the subscribers that we have on there right now. Um, other than that, just make sure that you are promoting us and, and letting everybody know that you like us. Make sure you check out our uh, podcast network. It's Ace Podcast Network. Uh, there's a lot of great podcasts on there, so check them out. Um, and thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week in our Death Wish series with Death Wish 3, uh, which I'm excited for and I know Martin is as well. So thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week uh, from the Blood and Black Grim podcast. Take care.